This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. I don't think it's possible to look at the state of America today without worrying about the state of obesity. This is particularly true with America's youth. Depending on how old you are, go back and look at your graduation picture from when you were in the fifth grade. How many children in your fifth grade class would you consider to be overweight or chubby? Was it two, three, maybe four? Go look at a photograph of a fifth grade class graduating these days, and the number of children that you would find fit that description is alarming. It's significantly more than two or three. Now, why? What's gone on? Have all of a sudden uh, children just gotten much lazier? Maybe. Are parents just uh, feeding their children nonstop, which they weren't doing 30, 40, 50 years ago? What are the health implications of this epidemic of childhood obesity? And is this new class of obesity drugs is this a panacea that is going to solve the world's obesity problems? This is The Other Side of Midnight. I appreciate you listening. And this is an issue that we focused on for quite some time. And obviously, as a citizen, it's easy to focus on this. But as a new father, I certainly want my child to have a healthy lifestyle. And, you know, he's only two years old, but uh, seems to be of a healthy body weight. I certainly hope that continues. But even more so, even if you're not a father, even if you're not a parent or a grandparent, if you're a taxpayer, if you're paying insurance premiums and you see the sheer amount of obesity and obesity lifestyle related costs that are being eaten up, pardon the pun, by all of these things in terms of Medicare, in terms of health insurance, in terms of your tax dollars, you have to demand something is done about this. Somebody who has been doing something about this for literally decades is Dr. Marion Nessel. She is a professor of nutrition, food studies, and public health emeritus at New York University. She's the author of a wide range of books about the politics of food, nutrition, health, and even the environment, including Eat, Drink, Vote, an illustrated guide to food politics, and several others as well. Dr. Nessel, it's great to have you on the program. Thanks for joining me. Oh, glad to be here. So, Dr. Nessel, you do spell your name N-E-S-T-L-E. A lot of folks will draw the comparison between uh, Nestle's Quick or Nestle's Hot Chocolate. And even if it's pronounced uh, differently, they'll say, oh, maybe this is someone that's uh, trying to uh, repair her family's reputation for all of the junk food that their family has been peddling over the years. Are you any relation to the Nestle Quick family? Alas, no. Um, but I've certainly been accused of being the black sheep of the family. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. All right. Uh, let's talk about childhood obesity. How bad is the problem with childhood obesity in America these days? 
Well, it's bad and it's getting worse. Um, and I thought your description of class pictures was a really poignant one because I would say that my class pictures and my kids' class pictures, there wasn't anybody. In the, or maybe one poor child who was the butt of millions of um, tauntings and bullying. But now kids are, I mean, somebody looks malnourished if they're at a healthy weight, if they're a kid. And I think the reasons for this are you know, pretty easy to explain. Smartphones. Um, concerns by parents that if their kids are outside by themselves, they're going to get kidnapped um, and junk food and a society in which it has become acceptable not to eat three meals a day, but to eat all day long and to eat Mm. snacks all day long. Um, And, you know, if I had one suggestion, it's, you know, I mean, when my kids were little and when I was little, um, parents would say, go out and play and don't come back until dinner time. That's not the case anymore. We live in a very, very different society. And so kids are under house arrest. They've got phones to keep them busy and they're not expending very many calories while they're on those phones. Um, and they're eating junk food all day long. It's been it's pretty easy to understand what happened. You know, uh, it, we've spoken a lot about the um, the trend of parents over the last few decades to to hover and to not give their children the uh, the independence that previous generation of children, uh, pre- previous generations of children have had. And I think it's not only bad for them physically, potentially uh, psychologically as well, to never feel like you're really on your own and being able to do anything. But whenever I've talked about this on the radio, uh, inevitably a couple of folks will call in and say something to the effect of, oh, no, no, no. It was safe to do that when you were growing up or when your parents were growing up. It's not safe to do that now. Someone's going to come along and and snatch your nine-year-old if they're playing outside on the street by themselves or with other nine-year-olds. Is there any truth to that? Is a nine-year-old going to get snatched? No, the the parents of the nine-year-old are going to be reported to the police for (laughs) neglecting their child. Is what's happened. There's very, very little evidence that kids are less safe now than they were, um, except maybe to gun violence, which is the one thing that's increased enormously. Um, but the psychology of parents is that it's not safe. And if they feel that it's not safe, then everybody feels that it's not safe. I mean, the idea that you have to organize groups to walk kids to school is just astounding to me. My kids walked to school by themselves when they were little, but that was a long time ago, and the society has changed. Um, now, if you let, as I was, when I was eight years old, I was allowed to take subways by myself in New York City. I mean, that's certainly, you don't see eight-year-olds on the subway by themselves. Everybody yeah, it, on the subway would be really upset if they saw a single eight-year-old. And yet I went to piano lessons. I went to wander around the city. I did anything I wanted when I was eight years old and and older. Um, But society has changed, and I think we need to change it back and do something to make kids more independent. 
I certainly would love to see the rubber band snap back a little bit in a more, what I consider a more sane direction because a parent of a nine or 10 year old that allows their child to take the train or the ferry by themselves, as you said, uh, they're viewed as uh, neglectful or, or worse. But the, the problem with uh, children and obesity they're not just overweight because they aren't exercising, right? I mean, there is something with with respect to the food they're consuming that makes them more likely to be overweight these days, isn't there? Well, I think there are several things about the food. It's what the food is, it's how often they're eating it, and how much they're eating of it. Um, And there's no question, there's just an enormous amount of evidence that kids are fed junk food, that they eat multiple times a day, not just three meals, um, and that they eat in very large portions. Um, So they're taking in more calories. That's, you know, I think it's body weight is very simple. It's a matter of calorie balance. And if you eat more calories than you expend in physical activity, you're going to gain weight. You know, I mean, there are are minor differences in foods, but really, if you're eating a lot of junk food, and we now know that junk foods, now they're called ultra-processed foods, encourage people to take in more calories, and and they don't realize this. I mean, that's now been shown. And so if you're eating a lot of these kinds of foods where once you start eating, you can't stop, you're going to be taking in more calories than you need or that are good for you. We've seen over the last three decades or so uh, the tobacco companies in a lot of people's minds look like the bad guys and uh, their efforts to do things like um, use cartoons like Joe Camel to get kids smoking at a very young age are rightly excoriated by uh, all aspects of polite society. We have not seen the same widespread acceptance of villainization of the food industry. But if you look at what the food industry has done in terms of marketing, they're spending $2 billion a year marketing things like sugary breakfast cereals, potato chips, uh, chicken nuggets, chicken fingers, sugary drinks, fried foods, candy and sweets. Um, What role is the food industry itself playing in getting kids hooked on junk food? Well, I think it's really important to understand that food companies are not social service agencies and they're not public health agencies. They're businesses. Their job is to produce profits and grow those profits every 90 days and keep their stockholders happy. That's their job. And that's what they do. So they're in the so they're in the business of selling more food. Their job is to sell as much food as possible at as high a profit as possible. And they're really good at it. That's what they do. And yes, marketing to children is part of that. I once heard, I was once at a meeting at the White House, actually, where I heard a food industry executive say, I wish we could stop marketing to children. I don't think it's right, but our stockholders won't let us stop. Wow. 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 And and, wow, indeed. In other countries, my understanding is when children are watching a Saturday morning cartoon or uh, their equivalent of Sesame Sesame Street, they don't allow uh, commercials for junk food or really anything. Is the United States somewhat unique in terms of allowing television advertising to children? 
I'm not sure about that. I don't know what the rules are. They vary in um, in every country. But I know that in the United States, when the Federal Trade Commission attempted to put curbs on television marketing of junk foods to kids, and we're talking now about 1979, um, Congress was so outraged at the thought that advertising could be restricted that they passed a law that said that the Federal Trade Commission could not put any restrictions on television marketing to children. So those restrictions are voluntary in the United States, and companies can voluntarily mm. not pay any attention to them. Wow. Uh, if people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Dr. Marion Nessel. She's a, a professor emeritus at uh, NYU and uh, a molecular biologist, also the author or co-editor of uh, 15 books, many of them uh, prize winning. Uh, Dr. Nessel, what about the role of lobbyists. Uh, we think of lobbyists when it comes to um, the military industrial complex. We think of lobbyists when it comes to things like oil. I don't know that lobbyists are at the forefront of a lot of our listeners' mind when it comes to food. What role are food lobbyists playing in all this? Well, their job is to make sure that the government doesn't pass any regulation that might uh, reduce their profits. Again, they're businesses. They behave like any other business. And so they pay vast numbers, thousands, literally thousands of lobbyists to work Congress and meet with congressional staff and convince Congress that no regulation should do anything to restrict what they're marketing because their products are healthy, their products don't do any harm, and anybody who says so is wrong. And besides, they have the right to do all this because of the First Amendment, um, which allows them freedom of speech so they can say anything they want about their products. And in terms of high fructose corn syrup, that's uh, relatively new in terms of being in everything. These days, if you look at the food label on anything, it is in almost everything. It's in bread. It's in drinks. It's in salads. It's in salad dressings. It's in everything, even a lot of foods that you've historically considered healthy. The defenders of high fructose corn syrup say this is a substance that's been unfairly villainized. Where do you come down on the issue of high fructose corn syrup? Well, it used to be a much cheaper form of sugar. Um, it, I mean, it contains, it has exactly the same chemical composition as table sugar, except that the two sugars that are in table sugar, glucose and fructose, are together in table sugar and split in the high fructose corn syrup, but in the body they all get. So essentially, it's sugar. It used to be cheaper. One of the great ironies of what's happened in the food supply is that um, an astonishing percentage of corn in the United States now goes to make ethanol for fuel for automobiles. And mm -hmm. that has raised the price of high fructose corn syrup. So it's not that much cheaper than sugar anymore. Um, so I think we'll, we'll be seeing sugar going back into products. But basically, it's the same calories. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. 
Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYC. Are things better overall? Are things better or worse than in 2002 when you wrote um, your book that kind of changed the conversation about this food politics? Have things gotten better or worse or stayed the same over the last two decades? Well, I think it depends on which things you're talking about. Mm. If you're talking about obesity, it's gotten worse. If you're talking about understanding of the food industry's role in obesity and other kinds of health problems, I think it's gotten better. Many, many people understand that food marketing is not there to for entertainment or because um, it's giving them information about products. It's there to get them to eat more. And once you understand that, and once you understand the business imperatives, it's not that the food industry is trying to make people gain weight. They just want people to buy more food. We're seeing... Of their products. Buy more products. Uh, Eating less is very, very bad for business. Well, one of the things that we've seen big food concerned about in recent months publicly, this has been written about, is the rise of these anti-obesity drugs like uh, Ozempic and Munjara and that whole class of, uh, of drugs which folks are considering a game changer. Now, they say they're projecting these drugs within a few years may be the best-selling drugs of all time, not in the billions in terms of revenue, but potentially uh, eventually into the trillions in terms of revenue revenue for the drug companies. The food industry is saying they're concerned about what this could mean for their bottom line. Where do you come down on these obesity drugs? Is this the solution to the problem that we've been talking about? Well, if you think that taking a lifetime drug is a solution to any problem, you're going to think so. Um, And if you are so enormously overweight and you've tried during your entire life to lose weight and haven't been able to, these drugs could help a lot. Um, you know, they're a tool in the general armamentarium of what to do. Um, I think the jury is still out on what on, on the role that these drugs are going to play because they do have side effects. There's some evidence that people don't want to take them for very long and that they have to be taken throughout life. Um, for them to continue to keep weight down. What's interesting, I mean, there are a lot of really interesting things about them. Um, One is they seem to reduce people's desire for food. So people aren't as hungry and they're not, or they aren't as obsessed. Their symptoms of addiction to food, if that's the right word to use, seem to be lessened. They don't think about it all the time. They don't have any trouble eating less. They lose weight. Um, That's really interesting. 
Um, but how long you can take them and how many people can take them. And there's an enormous argument about how young people can be when they start mm. taking them. Um, you know, that I, I think we just don't know enough about them yet. But we're going to find out pretty soon because lots of people are taking them and lots of people are studying them. I think a lot of people may hear our conversation and they may be inspired to some sort of action or activism to try to do something about this. Whereas in other areas of uh, public policy, it becomes clear what they need to be doing or what they need to push for. When it comes to big food, people may not necessarily be as clear. If people are looking to do something about this, either in terms of their own lives, their children and grandchildren's lives, or as a voter, what can and they and should they be doing? Well, I think we need to change election campaign laws so that our elected officials are free of politics and aren't beholden to corporations. And then we could start thinking about passing some legislation that would put some restrictions on marketing, especially marketing to children. But we can't really do that until we have uh, legislators who are free of corporate interest. We need to get corporations out of politics. Um, How you go about doing that? Hard to know. I say pick an issue and find an organization working on it. Join that organization and work with them. There are loads of organizations working on food issues. All you have to do is type in food advocacy and the name of the community that you live in, and they'll just pop up. They're everywhere. And a lot of them are doing really good work. Food advocacy, as far as you're concerned, though, and the concern about childhood obesity in particular, this is not a left or a right issue. I mean, you could be super left wing or super right wing and still want to do something about this, right? You could, although it turns out to be a Democratic rather than a Republican issue. Um, It's interesting that concerns about, I mean, first of all, we don't have a federal campaign to try to prevent obesity in children. There is no such campaign. Um, And there's no real attempt to try to organize one, I think, because they would have to take on the food industry. Mm. And that's a big job. Um, It turns out that concerns about health split along party lines, just like everything else splits along party lines these days. Um, You know, I think about Michelle Obama during the Obama administration, who picked school food as an issue that she wanted to work on, thinking that it would be a bipartisan issue. Doesn't everybody want kids to eat healthfully in schools? It turned out that was not the case. Well, that's a a real shame. Uh, I'll I'll end with this, uh, Dr. Nessel. If people are parents and uh, they're concerned about how to make sure their their child is not a part of the uh, growing obesity epidemic, other than what you just alluded to, making sure they get outside in play and making sure they're not glued to their smartphone all day, what what advice would you give to parents or even individuals as to how they can be a part of the solution on this rather than a part of the problem? Well, I think you vote with your fork. And that means, um, you know, you want to keep junk food out of the house. 
stop buying. You don't want your kids eating junk food. Don't buy it. Don't have it in the house. You can't control what your kids eat outside of the house, but you can control what your kids eat inside the house. And you stop buying ultra-processed foods or you buy them in such small amounts that they're not going to do any harm. Starting with sugar-sweetened beverages, because those contribute to overweight very, very easily. They're calories and no nutrients and, you know, have things other than sugar-sweetened beverages for your kids to drink. Um, This is not going to be easy in the current society, but it's well worth starting on. And good luck to everybody. Dr. Marion Nessel, uh, you could check out uh, several of her books. Just uh, go to Amazon or wherever you get your books, N-E-S-T-L-E. And uh, there is there are memoirs. There are all sorts of books about food politics and all sorts of, book of books about nutrition, including for pets, by the way, that you can uh, check out. I enjoyed the conversation very much. Thank you. I did, too. Glad to be here. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call. My number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.